It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, Digital Sports Commons Center with Rick Roaring. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, some national. we got a gambling segment we get to where... Um, I don't know how, how last week went. I'm going to be interested. I can't remember sometimes how, how those things go. And, and neither one of us really got that great. Okay, so that's how it went. I, I figured it was probably that. And, of course, my favorite segment where you can ask me a question, ask Skinny anything. We've got uh, some Bengals to get to, some World Series to get to. Uh, probably a great analytics debate when we get to the World Series as well that probably will extend for a period of time. Um, and we'll, we'll try to get you some winners. Or you can pull what I call the Costanza, which is take our picks and go the opposite. You can always do that. I mean, if you're going to fade us, why not take our picks and go the other way, right? Well, and honestly, if you've been listening to this podcast, you should have already been doing that. Again, I said it last week, but it continues to be a thing on Twitter. Hashtag fade Rick B has, has become a real thing, especially with the picks from this podcast. I've just been terrible all year. You started off pretty well, and somehow I've dragged you into the mud with me. Now you're you're tanking a little bit, so we got to get back on track here. Yeah, that's a good point. But I, I did like the uh, the Rams got me a three-team parlay home over the weekend, so I'm happy with that. Well, there you go. And actually, I, I uh, believe my teaser cashed from last week, too. So and the go. funny thing is, when it doesn't come to the bets on the, the picks on this podcast, we're doing all right. Like, we've we've been okay in our pick them. We've been okay in our actual bets during the weekend. But the pick them on this podcast, those games have killed us. So. Well, and the one thing I will say, and I, I, I like doing the, 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 the games that matter. We had somebody that asked us to make something different. So we we each try to do like a different teaser. I mean, we are kind of pigeonholed in some of those games. Like that game, week of the Jets and Broncos game. I would have not bet that game if you'd have given me your grandmother's money. I, I just, it was a terrible game to bet. That's why, well, of I picked, course, remember, I picked zero zero. Yeah, that's right. And I've also gotten every single Bengals game wrong so far this year. But in real life, I've self banned myself from betting on the Bengals. So and it's that's all good. a wise, that's very wise. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. On Wednesday, the Bengals told disgruntled defensive end Carlos Dunlap to stay home from practice. And then shortly after, it was announced the team had traded him to the Seattle Seahawks for offensive lineman B.J. Finney and a seventh-round draft pick in 2021. Skinny, we talked about it a lot last week, but what's your takeaway from the Carlos Dunlap saga now that it's come to an end? I think, A, the Bengals did the best they could. Um you know, I know people have talked about if they'd have kept more of this in-house that they would have gotten better value for Carlos, and I just don't believe that. And, A, it wasn't them not keeping it in-house. It was right. Carlos not keeping it in-house. So um, I, I don't know where that take came from. I saw a couple of national people say that. Michael Silver, who's a dope, he said that. Um, he's, he, he Honestly, I'm not so sure he and Hugh Jackson aren't, aren't really, 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 really good friends because he wants you to be the coach here so badly. He's going to besmirch anybody that's not. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. Um yeah, I think they did the best they could. Um, I, I mean, for Carlos, he gets his way. He gets to go to a good team. He'll probably, honestly, play hard for them and, and do some decent things down the stretch for them. But but shame on him, too. I mean, he dogged it for a year. and he He's dogged it, honestly, since he got his contract extension. And, and then he wants to blame coaches for, for the way he played earlier in the year. I mean, he was terrible, Rick, for seven games. I mean, he had one sack. One sa- and sacks aren't the complete measure. One sack and 18 tackles, and nine of his 18 tackles came in the game against Philly. Um, you know, coaches have not been happy with him since last season. They weren't happy with him coming into the season. They've had talks with him. Uh, from what I understand, uh, there was an argument between Carlos Dunlap and a, and a coach at a practice um, earlier this year because, again, he was dogging it. Uh, he's, he's honestly, he, he, he ended up, he ended up being a real turd, to be honest with you. And that does not besmirch any of the stuff he did in the community with kids, his community outreach. Look, those are all great things. 
But, you know, adults don't act this way. They, they just don't. And I'm, I, I'm disappointed in him. Not that it matters to him anyway, shape or form, but it's disappointing. He became a real turd the way he acted with this. But that's the shame of it all, because he seems like a guy who it did matter to, to a certain extent. I mean, you don't go out of your way in the community the way he has over the last 10 years or so. If you don't care about what people think of you and you don't care about doing the right thing. So it is a shame, in my opinion, that a guy who really did almost everything right off the field during an extended career in this town, especially during a time where, let's face it, a lot of his teammates were the butt of jokes off the field. And he was always a guy that had a great reputation and did a lot of really cool things, whether it be the breast cancer stuff that he did uh, for women in the community, or whether it was all the stuff he did buying kids bikes and all types of stuff before school. He, he did great things, but then the, the way he just absolutely tanked his relationship with the Bengals here at the end it will be all he's remembered for in terms of his time in Cincinnati. I mean, everyone's going to go back to this moment. Think about Carson Palmer, who had a, right, a, right. a much more interesting career and was the quarterback of the team and obviously was kind of like the face of the turnaround for the Bengals when they finally started getting things back on the right track under Marvin Lewis. And the only thing we remember about uh, Carson Palmer is how it ended really. And, and that's going to be the same thing with Carlos Dunlap and probably even more so because he was more of a faceless player beforehand. Um, I think the thing about Carlos Dunlap that's clear is he's always been a guy who's supremely talented in terms of his physical ability, but he's never been a guy who's gotten the most out of his ability. He's, he's- yeah, exactly. And, and, that, and that always disappoints me. I mean, you know, God gave you those abilities, use them to the best of your ability. Um, and he did when he felt like doing it. And when he felt like doing it, he was really good, but there were times he didn't feel like doing it. And honestly, I didn't question the extension for Carlos Dunlap when the Bengals gave it to him. It was eye opening. He gave it to him and Geno Atkins at the same time. And, um, I got a little of why they did that. And I didn't completely question it to be quite frank. Um, but in retrospect, knowing his history and his lack of motor on occasion, that was probably the wrong thing to do because at that point, that was probably going to be the last big contract for Carlos Dunlap. And for him, it's, yeah, you got my money now. What else am I playing for? I'm playing on a lousy team. I'm just playing to cash a check. And that, that always pisses me off. I, I just, I, I don't respect that in any way, shape or form. Um, and yeah, I, he, what he's going to do is he's going to go to Seattle and probably play really well. And people here are going to go, why did, you know, what, why did the Bengals not get that out of him? Because Carlos Dunlap chose not to get that from himself. That was Carlos Dunlap. Yeah. You can argue coaches should get more out of guys and coaches. You can try. And they tried. That's why they benched him. They were hoping the benching would light a fire under the guy did not. It turned the exact opposite. He became a big baby and, and cried his way out of town. So shame on him. Disappointing in him. You know, his father hasn't helped the situation either. His dad, uh, I will have a story up on the website on Thursday afternoon, maybe even probably before this podcast is posted, but his father with one of our affiliates in Charleston, South Carolina said, he's been trying to get out for five years and they've been disrespecting him for five Dude, your son signed an extension two or three years ago. He was more than willing to take the money, old man. Shut up. Shut up. You took the money, take the money, and then go play. Don't tell me you were trying. If you're trying to get out, don't sign a contract, right? Exactly, yeah. And I don't doubt that he still has some left in the tank, and he can I give do too. Seattle something. Um, I don't think they're getting some huge difference maker that's going to no, take they their need defense to-, to another level. They needed a warm body on the defensive line. That, uh, they the, need a pass rush, and that's what he can be. When he, he can still be a pass rush, 
Some, yes, yeah, yeah, to an extent. And, and I, I think there's something left, but I also don't think there's a whole lot left there either. And I, uh, one of the interesting things I heard coming out from all of this that I, I missed this when it happened originally. It was a, a year or two ago. Dan Horde and Lapham had him on one of their shows where they invite the players on throughout the week. And he had a quote where they asked him, you know, how have you been able to have a sustained career in the NFL? And he said something to the effect of, well, I, sometimes I make business decisions out there on the field and thought nothing of saying. Yes, it. yes. And that was, I mean, that's just a really telling quote, yeah, no, that, I feel right. like, from, from a player. I mean, most guys, even if they do that, would never admit it to media and fans in a building um, at the Holy Grail or wherever that. That just, when I heard that yesterday on the radio, that really stuck out to me from Horde and Lapham. And, and you could just kind of hear the disappointment in both of their voices talking about Carlos and the way this thing played out. So, well, I, and, and, I, and as you said, if you've seen players here in the last handful of days, starting with the post game on Sunday after he posted his house for sale and um, had the altercation with coaches, um, I don't think it was lip service. They didn't exactly rush to his defense, did they? They kind of sided with the coaches. And I think it goes back to, to players see the tape. They see when guys aren't playing hard. That's a teammate. And maybe, yeah, maybe teammates should have should have uh, um, should have held him more accountable. And maybe they tried to. Maybe they tried to as well. And then it got down to the coaches trying to hold him accountable. And, and so, listen, I don't know whether Zach Taylor or Lou Anaruma can coach. Um, the jury's still out. And maybe the jury's already come in and you think that they can't. That's fine. But if you're in the shoes of Lou Anarumo and Zach Taylor and you're watching film and you're watching practice and you're seeing a guy not go very hard and you're trying to establish a culture, Rick, you tell me you've coached. What would you have done? Do you keep playing him multiple snaps? Or do you say, you know what? To hell with that. I'm going to put at least a kid that's going to try. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You've got to. You've got to be able to make the decisions as a head coach that are best for the team. And and if a guy is going to be defiant and not give you their best effort, then you have to be able to bench that guy. But I think the issue for Zach Taylor, at least from my perspective, is this didn't happen in a vacuum. There was things with other guys like A.J. Green, who's never been problematic in this way. There were things going back to last year where guys have seen unhappy or at least felt they were able to walk all over this coaching staff. And maybe a lot of it has to do with the coaching staff and the relationship to the front office. And, and I, I think that's a, that's all it is to be right. honest with you. And that's fine. But either way, that's still kind of the issue for Zach Taylor as the head oh, coach, sure. right? Yeah, if he absolutely. can't stand yeah. up to the front office and he's just a yes man, then that's not going to work out either. So to me, this still somewhat signifies that Zach Taylor is in over his head. I do think he has lost the locker room and this is part of that. But at the same time, I agree with you that some of the, the other players around this locker room are looking around and being like, we're not that guy either. Like we're still here to win. We're still here. We're still about the right things, whether Zach Taylor can coach or not. We're, we're not Carlos Dunlap. You know, I don't well, think it, anyone it, respected it, what he did. And see, and I think this is where Zach Taylor can get a little credibility back to be honest with you, because I, 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 I think last year he wanted Cordy Glenn gone and Mike Brown would not and didn't want to pay a guy to not play. And so Zach didn't get his way there. And, and I think that, that, that earlier this year, and maybe even in the offseason, they wanted Carlos Dunlap gone and the front office wouldn't capitulate. And maybe Carlos did Zach a favor by his antics, that it got to such a point that Zach finally goes to the front office and says, we can't deal with this any longer. And the front office went, yeah, I can see that now. You're right. Well, let's make, let's make a deal. And, and so maybe, maybe Carlos did Zach a favor. Uh, but I also think that the front office finally caved and maybe that's a sign of Zach gaining a little cachet there of, of almost, 
I told you, I've told you, I've told you. And now the next time I come to you and say, let's get rid of a guy, let's get rid of a guy. I, I hope you're right. Unfortunately, I think it's more of the former and Carlos Dunlap kind of just did Zach Taylor a favor by, by making things so bad, but maybe you're right. Maybe this will be the turnaround of that relationship and Zach Taylor gaining some respect and some power from the front office. They, they did trade for an offensive lineman, BJ Finney, as well as that seventh round draft pick in 2021. I don't think BJ Finney is a guy, but at the same time, the Bengals just have some warm bodies on the offensive line as it stands. The starting left guard or left tackle at Elder might have a chance of walking in and getting some some snaps. Shout out uh, to DCL. Is, is BJ Finney going to be in the mix here? No, but I think what BJ Finney does is it allows you to maybe move Billy Price at the trade deadline. Um, you know, with Trey Hopkins has a concussion. Uh, he, he's in all likelihood not going to play Sunday, which means Billy will start on Sunday. Um, but Trey will be back. You know, you got the bye week in between, and, and in all likelihood, that means Trey comes back uh, for the Pittsburgh game, the first game after the bye. If you've got BJ Finney, who's a backup center guard, you don't really need a third backup center guard, do you? Now you can argue he could play the guard. Xavier Suafilo is coming back too here after the bye week, and that's another guard. I think it makes Billy Price expendable, and I don't know what you can get for Billy Price, and, and it may be a, a again a, a late round pick. But I think for the Bengals, I think at this trade deadline, they've got a couple of pieces to move. And then maybe even if they're really aggressive, they use some of their draft capital to add maybe a veteran lineman or a veteran defensive lineman. Um, I, I think they should be active at the trade deadline. I really do. And I think I think there will be some activity. And I think maybe this move is kind of a, boy, I hope Billy plays well Sunday because if he plays well and shows after the, the half against Cleveland where he played really well, and he shows a full game if he plays really well. And some team, and you know there's teams out there that still need linemen. Uh, maybe we can move Billy Price. What was the stat I saw yesterday that that, that uh, the trade of Carlos Dunlap was just the third ever in-season trade for the Bengals? Is that correct? Yeah, in the third history? Yeah, in the second since 1985. Uh, so, Dan Ross went to the Seahawks, the other one being the Carson Palmer trade, uh, the year that he begged out and they traded him to Oakland. And that would actually wouldn't have been a, a great trade. Cause they got a, an extra first round pick in, in that deal too. So uh, yeah, they, they don't do it much, but maybe this is the, again, maybe this is a sign of, all right, we're doing things differently. The off season was something they did different. This in season trade is something they've done different. That's why I go back to maybe Zach Taylor is starting to get his way a little bit here. Well, yeah, I mean, it would be fascinating to see this team go from never even considering moves for the most part to all of a sudden making multiple trades in the same season, even if none of them are really, big difference maker type moves. Uh, do you see anything else out there aside from the Billy price trade I, that they might be looking to do? I think they could move AJ green for a, for a, a fourth or a fifth. I do. Um, especially if he has another good game piled on top of it, you know, look at new Orleans. They probably could use a receiver and this is the last go round for the drew Brees thing. Um, uh, Philly. Now Philly's got to look and say, Hey, this division's so winnable for us. We just need to add another part. Uh, maybe you can go there. I, I'd be, I'd be honestly, I'd be disappointed if they didn't move AJ green. Cause Rick, I, I know he's played well the last couple of weeks and that's good. And, and maybe it does show that all it was was for him was, was rust and frustration for the first four games that culminated with that goofy act he had in Baltimore. But again, am I going to resign a 33 year old wide receiver for mega change? Am I? No, I'm not. If I'm smart, if I'm doing things smart and, and for the team that's picking up AJ, you're picking him up for half a season's worth of salary. It's a good salary. It's going to cost you about $9 million the rest of the way, but you're not on the hook for anything beyond that. So if you're trying to make one last run, New Orleans, I think you'd be willing to give up something to get an AJ Green, would you not? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's some value there. I don't, and like you said, it's maybe just a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, but for the Bengals, that might be worth it because, quite honestly, it's over with AJ Green. I just cannot see them continuing that relationship past this year at all. And so he's going to walk at the end of the year, and you get nothing for him. So and, might and as well I, take I, an extra draft pick, right? And I do think they'd like to move Geno Atkins, but um, because of his salary structure and how long his contract goes, and what the teams would be on the hook for, and what the Bengals would have to do from a dead cap perspective, I just I don't see that taking place. Fair enough. All right, from football to baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champs after defeating the Tampa Bay Rays four games to two. But the story that's taken on a life of its own stems from a decision made by Tampa Bay Rays manager Kevin Cash in the sixth inning of Game 6 on Tuesday. With the Rays leading 1-0, Cash pulled starter Blake Snell while the left-hander was still at the top of his game, having allowed two hits with nine strikeouts after five and a third scoreless innings. Cash said the decision to pull Snell was made because leadoff hitter Mookie Betts was coming up again, and Cash wanted to avoid having Snell go through the lineup a third time. Reliever Nick Anderson came in and promptly gave up a double, a game-tying wild pitch, and an RBI ground out, putting the Rays behind in the game for the first time, 2-1. to one. It was, of course, the deciding game. What did you think of Kevin Cash's decision to remove Blake Snell from Game 6 at that time, Skinny? Yeah, this has so many layers to it, because this is totally the analytics guy versus the old-school guy, right? Um Listen, from a narrative perspective coming into the game, like all season yes, long, that's yes, who they've been, not just yes. because of this one thing. Yeah, no, no. And that, that, that's part of the layer, too. Um, Kevin Cash managed almost strictly by analytics all year long, and he got him to the World Series, right? He got him and the players did, too. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. They have some nice players uh, for sure. And, and that and that factors in the equation. But he managed that way all season. So in his mind, not going to change now. But that's where sometimes to me. You can't be old school guy who says analytics are stupid and you can't be analytics guy who goes, I'm just going to do everything by the analytics. There's got to be a happy medium and it is still human beings playing this game. And sometimes the human being is out there. He's taking on a life of his own pitching out of his mind. Blake Snell wasn't pitching out of his mind. Blake Snell was pitching a game that Blake Snell's capable of pitching. But on this particular night, that dude was unfreaking hittable. And yes, I know the argument was third time through the order. Maybe Blake's going to struggle. Well, maybe Blake's not. How about we find out with at least a hitter or two? And if he gets to that top of the order that was 0 for 6 with six strikeouts, I'm going to feel pretty good with Blake Snell at that point being about 85 pitches in. I just got through a very major part of the order and my guy's still humming and he's just got it tonight. And the Dodgers, listen, you've been on other sides of sports too. And certainly it's been different, right? High school is certainly different than professional, but there's times you're out there, out there going, man, we can't guard that guy or we can't tackle that guy or we can't hit that guy. And then all of a sudden the coach decides, well, I'm going to, you know, just put somebody else in and you're like, Whew, thank goodness he's out. Now at least I got a chance. And I wonder if the Dodgers had that feeling of, whew, boy, Snell had his stuff tonight, and and thank goodness he's out. And I know the analytics say for them, hey, we're putting a guy in that, that, uh, that, that hey, they're a new pitcher. Uh, our bullpen's good. And, and that's where, like I said, there, there, there has to be a happy medium here, man. There has to be. You can't just do everything by the analytics. He had thrown 73 pitches and was dominant. I'm not going down swinging with somebody else. I'm going to go down swinging with at least another about or two to see if Blake Snell really does have it and gets to that part of the order. So Kevin Cash deserves every ounce of criticism that's come his way. The other point to it is, though, that he didn't manage that way the whole year. It wasn't like something he did that specific night that, that suddenly that's why you second guess him. I just second guess him because sometimes 
Let the human do what the human's doing that night. He's doing some really special things, and I don't care what the numbers say. The numbers aren't human. They can sometimes be wrong. And, and let's let's get to a happy medium with this. And 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 we are really at a point, I think, where analytics guy hates old guy, old guy hates analytics guy, and never the twain shall meet. And I think it's one of the reasons you see baseball ratings in the tank. Yeah, I think it has something to do with it for certain. I, I think. Part of the issue with baseball right now is what's fun to watch isn't the conventional theory now for what wins games, right? Like people, right. people, what they believe wins games is not what we enjoy watching about baseball. And so that's kind of the issue, I think, with why ratings are struggling and, and people are, are tuning out. But there, there's a lot of other things to do with the ratings across sports and, and TV in general. Yes, so yes, I don't want to no get into all no that doubt. either. No, but no, you're right. In terms of this decision, I think there like you said, there are a lot of layers to this, a couple of things that need to be mentioned. Blake Snell is on the longest streak in the major leagues, having gone uh, 21 starts now without completing six innings. So this is like their thing. They take him out before he completes six innings every game, every start he had this year and going back past this year, he has not made it through six innings. That's a wild stat. Um, so this is this is their thing. They, they rely on their bullpen heavily, and they really rely on that stat that shows every starter in the major leagues is much less efficient a third time through the lineup. No doubt. And I agree with all of that. Like, all of that's right. And the, the whole idea of using analytics is that you you change the way you do stuff all the time so that you see an incremental improvement over time. It's not a case-by-case -case basis. But this might bring us back to a conversation we've had before about clutch or, you know, the big game guy, like that type of thing. Because in my opinion, that's what this is more about. You have a guy in Blake Snell who was just lights out pitching maybe as well as he had all year, according to him in the biggest moment. And you could see it in the eyes of the guys on the other team. They knew they couldn't hit him. Like if you listen to the interviews from Mookie Betts and Dave Roberts after the game, they're basically gloating about the yes. decision to, to take Snell out because they knew they're like, he had his best stuff. Our guys just weren't seeing the ball. We had struck out nine times already through five and a third. Like, they and it knew wasn't like they were in trouble. Yeah, it wasn't like he was at 110 pitches either. He'd thrown 73 flipping pitches. Not That's at all. It. And the hit that they took him out for it was a nice piece of hitting. It wasn't like, oh, man, he's he doesn't have his control. He's struggling. He had to groove one. It wasn't like he's really lost his velocity all of a sudden. It was just a nice piece of hitting. You know, it was the second hit he had given up all game. Yeah, I think the obvious answer here to most people that watch that game especially uh with hindsight being 2020 is that you have to leave Blake Snell in in that situation you've got to have the feel but I also think it's funny that everybody's yelling in this situation the analyst guys and the old school guys right the analytics people are mad that this is a conversation about analytics and at the end of the day it still is because you don't have a guy like Kevin Cash making this by the book decision uh, and saying we've done it this way all year, so we're going to continue to do it this way if it weren't for this analytics movement, right? Like the old school baseball guy doesn't make this decision ever. So, this yeah, yeah it, it made it, that's where analytics, yeah, and, and that's where a bad decision, yeah, and that's where the thing with analytics, and you, you actually said it correctly a, a little bit ago, 
the, the thing about the analytics is it, 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 it proves true over time. It proves true over the big 162, or in this case, the 60 is a good sample size. But when you get, and I think it's the reason the athletics have failed to win anything in the, in the, in the money ball era. Um, they've won, they've won divisions. They've won a lot of games, but they get to those short sample sizes of the postseason, and it just doesn't quite jive. It never seems to work. And I know Billy beans argument that has been, well, it's just the randomness of a short series. Yes. Which means then your decisions have to be completely different than just using the analytics. It has to be determining the human being in that moment. And the human being in that moment, Blake Snell was a stud, yeah. And, and so, you know, if I'm Kevin Cash, I'm not sleeping very well. I'm not going to go, well, you know, I'm sleeping great because I just I use the way I did it all year. No, there is something to to guys clutching up in the moment. There is something to guys rising up in the moment. Um, look, uh, you know, Randy Rosarina may be the worst player in baseball next year. But in the moment of this postseason, the dude was out of his mind. What did he keep doing? He kept plugging him in the lineup every day. Analytics may say. Gosh, we looked in his spray chart and, and his BABIP and all this. It really wasn't that good. But, man, the guy was just raking, and we're just going to leave him in there. Uh, maybe it did. Maybe the analytics actually backed it up, too. But I'm just saying, sometimes you just got to do it by feel, man. There, there just has to be a happy medium. Yeah. A- analytics are a tool. They're part of the process. They're part of the decision. They're not a card that tells you what to do in every situation. And if it was, anyone could do it. Literally anyone could. A computer do it. could manage. And, and I think that's what a lot of people feel is going on. I don't know that that's the case. Like, I think we can just say Kevin Cash made the wrong decision here. But again, you don't make that decision unless you're all into the analytics right. and have decided to, to make that the way you manage. So it it's still it's still part of it. I mean, I just look when the next three hitters Snell was going to face Betts, Seager, Turner. 0 for six with six strikeouts, like and, and one and one when one had COVID, <laughs> and one one of them was sickly at the moment. So yeah, you you have to factor that in. Like the guys can't see him; they're not touching him. You've got to factor that in, regardless of what the numbers say. So, um, you know, I, I think we're both on the same page on, on that conversation. I don't know if you have anything else to add to it. But yeah, no, no, it was an interesting say, moment. Yeah, no, the, the, honestly, the, kind of what you said too. What was the most exciting moment and most exciting play of the World Series other than the the, the crazy mad dash to home to home plate that, that won the game for the Rays in game four? What was the most exciting single play in that series, in your opinion? You got one? No. The how about Randy? Ar- how about Randy Rosarina trying to steal home plate? Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, it, hey, listen, analytics guy hates the thought of stealing second, right? Uh, because of the, the the risk reward in their mind isn't worth giving up the out just to get the base. And and, and obviously it's proven true because the Rosarina was called out, but damn if that wasn't exciting, right? Yeah. And like, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about with, you know, the, the way people believe you win in baseball doesn't necessarily jive with what we want to watch. And that sucks. Well, I mean, that, you, you, I mean, you got to admit that was a pretty exciting play and I still am not so sure he didn't beat it. I'm not so sure they should have reviewed it, but r- right or wrong, it's darn exciting. Yeah. Love watching it. There's no doubt. Skinny, the other big story from the game came from the post-game celebration. You mentioned Dodgers third baseman, Justin Turner. He was pulled from the game following the seventh inning. That's game six, by the way, following the seventh inning after MLB was notified that he had tested positive for COVID-19. He was quarantined in a doctor's office, according to President of Baseball Operations, Andrew Friedman. He then later returned to the field wearing a mask to celebrate the Dodgers title. He then took his mask off and posed for a team photo on the field. The MLB says it's investigating and Turner could face a suspension 
although there's no precedent for one, what do you think the punishment should be for Justin Turner? Uh, whatever his teammates determine, because he, he's the one that he put it. He, they're the ones rather he put at risk. I mean, I think it's irresponsible of him. I, I do. Uh, but the ones I think that should should determine what happens to him are the teammates. I mean, if some teammates come down with it and, and you can point directly to contact tracing to Justin Turner, I think you'd be a little more than pissed. I, I you know, that that may require a, a spring training beatdown, to be honest with you. The old uh, code red where you, you put the soap in a in a in a. Uh, uh, in a pillowcase and, and beat him at night. I mean, honestly, I, yeah, no, I'm serious. I, I, I think you, you go old school with that kind of stuff, to be honest with you. I, I just think it was irresponsible on his part, but I don't know what punishment can be. And, and hopefully nothing comes of it. Hopefully it turns out that, yeah, he had symptoms, but he, he, you know, he didn't give it to somebody else. But I mean, Rick, if I'm a teammate and I know that that guy had it because they, they tested positive for it. And then he came around and gave it to me. And, and and maybe I came down with a bad case of it, or I gave it to somebody in my family who came down. I think I'd be a little more than pissed. I really do. It sucks for him, right? I mean, this yes. is an amazing moment. It's something right. you work all season for. You want to be out there. At the same time, it's incredibly selfish of him. Even, yes. Even if, even if he doesn't give this to anyone else, the fact of the matter is him going back out there took away from the moment. It the whole it made the whole moment about COVID and him and everything else and everyone had to answer those questions then afterwards which was unfair to all of his teammates and his coaches and his management it it was no one's decision but his own I mean like he you know no one was going to stop him he's a free agent at the end of the season so he can do whatever he wants now but it's really selfish it's really selfish and I don't know that there's an official punishment I don't know that there needs to be one the MLB can suspend him if they want, I guess, going into next year, but I don't think it really matters. I think that I, I don't at either. The end of the day, the punishment is we all call him a d- like that's yes, right. We just no, all right. saw it. We called him out for it. His teammates, probably some of them don't like him anymore. Others are probably fine with it and understand why he did it. But at the end of the day, I think that's it. We just all acknowledge the fact that he made a really selfish move and only thought of himself. And and we can all acknowledge that it sucked for him too. Like he was a huge part of that team. So I get why he wants to be out third there. in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only other thing that he could have done that maybe would have been less selfish, although I think the answer would have been no, don't come out would have been, listen, can I come out with my mask, take a team picture where I'm, you know, as far maybe in front of the group as possible. And you guys are behind me and I'm not close to anybody. Cause I want to be a part of it. I think as a teammate, I might've said, yeah, absolutely, man. You were a big part of what we did. We'd like to have you in the picture. We just don't want you close to us. I mean, there, there had to be maybe even a happy medium there too, but yeah. And, and what he did, boy, oh boy, like I said, if I'm a teammate that gets it and I can trace it back to Justin Turner, I'm pretty pissed off. Well, and here's the reality. They were all in that dugout with them all game. And, and yeah, I know that. Then. So like, I'm sure there's a, several guys on that team who had either talked to him or touched him. And were like, look, if I, if I got it from him, I got it from him. It's not going to be because of the celebration. I already had it. So there's probably guys on his team who are saying, yeah, get out here. Like you said, and take this picture or whatever. But from his perspective, I think you just got to be a little less selfish there. And, and like you said, maybe you come out with a bubble around your head or something and say, right. let me no, take right. a funny team photo. And uh, then you get the hell out of there. But you sure as hell don't pull your mask down and then start talking to people and, and going around and hugging them. Like that was just, a terrible optic and, and an incredibly unfair position to put everybody else in. I think he'd be a great, a great Petri dish test to see how long that Rona might stay in that, that, uh, that beard. That that thing could last for maybe a year. (laughs) Well, it's going to be fascinating too, to see like what happens from this. Does everybody 
right now have it that was around him right. or right. how i mean the, this would seem to be one of those like really bad events they talk about when he's walking around in the midst of a celebration without a mask on uh how many positive you get the rona and you get the rona and you get the rona and you get the rona yeah uh, I, I, that is interesting to me to see just how much this stuff does spread when, when that type of thing happens. But uh, anything else on Justin Turner before we move to college basketball? He's a gnarly looking cat. By the way, did you know a small, a little known Justin Turner fact that he was actually an original Reds draft pick? That's right. What was it? Oh, six. Yep. But then chose to, uh, to, to not sign at the time and, and uh, eventually uh, went back into the draft pool and uh, certainly has become a good player. Um, he would probably be there. They're starting third baseman today, right? And but then again, you may have had no, never then traded for Eugenio Suarez. So I guess everything happens for a reason. Yeah, or the Reds may have just never developed him. You know, just and that's possible seems too. Seems to happen yeah. with their draft picks. Yeah, that's possible too. All right, college basketball skinny. Yesterday was media day for the Big East, and the American Athletic Conference also released their preseason honors and polls. So we're going to play a little game called Right or Slight, where I give you where the teams were picked to finish and who was named to the all-conference teams. And you'd let me know if the coaches got it right in this case or if you feel like it's a bit of a slight towards the local team. We'll start with Xavier in the Big East. The Musketeers were picked to finish seventh in the preseason coaches poll. And senior guard Paul Scruggs was selected the preseason all-Big East second team. We'll start with Xavier being picked seventh. Do you feel like that's a slight towards the Musketeers headed into this season? Or do you think that's about right? I think it's about right. I think I would have flip-flopped them and Marquette if I was voting um, just because of what Marquette lost. Um, yeah, I think those are the two I would have flip-flopped. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to gauge UConn coming back in. They were picked fourth. But, yeah, I think that's probably about right. Like I said, if it was me and I had to do it, um, I don't know if I – I think I'd have probably put Seton Hall over UConn. I think I liked the top three, which was Nova, Creighton, Providence. I think I would have flopped Seton Hall and UConn. I think I would have flopped Xavier and Marquette, but I think that's about right. Mid-pack. What do you think? The thing I keep telling everyone, I said this to Mo Egger yesterday, is I just don't think it really matters in the Big East. You always have like the teams who are bona fide top 15 teams in the country coming into the year that are going to be actual contenders to win the Big East. And this and then, year, and then, and then DePaul. <laughs> Right, right. This year, that's Villanova and Creighton. You know, you've got two teams, I think, almost unanimously picked in the top 10 for every poll. Th those two teams are, are going to battle it out to win the conference. And then after that, from three to seven or eight, depending on how you feel about Butler, you've got one tier to me. Like right, all these teams right. are about the same headed in the season. Now we may see some separation. I think Seton Hall and Yukon and Providence have the best chance to separate themselves and, and move towards the top. But the fact that all those teams have the chance to be good might also mean they just beat up on each other and everyone stays around 500 like most years in the Big East. So, you know, it comes down to winning a, a, a couple road games usually. Sure, you, right, right. You usually exactly. win most of your games at home, lose most of your games on the road if you're in that second tier. And then uh, one or two of the teams win a couple games on the road and the rest of them lose out on the road. And, you know, that's how you end up uh, a game or two above or under 500. And that's what it's going to be for Xavier this year, the same way it's going to be for Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, and Marquette. I think, again, I think my favorite out of those are Seton Hall and UConn and Providence. So, yeah, I think putting Xavier somewhere around six or seventh sounds about right to me. And then I agree, you know, underneath them, Butler, St. John's, DePaul, Georgetown. If any of those teams would have been placed above Xavier, then I would have been like, okay, yeah, the coaches are pretty down on this Xavier team. But as it sits right now at seventh, I, 
I don't think there's any way you can view that as a slight. What about Paul Scruggs being named to the all big East second team? Do you feel like that's a slight, whether it's to Paul Scruggs or other Xavier players who didn't get any recognition? I just don't know who else I would have put on, on the, t- I mean, there's really no other Xavier player that, that probably belongs. And that's probably second team's about right for Paul Scruggs. Um, I don't even know. Did they put, what, did they go five on the first team, Rick? Because the, the only thing I saw in the release that I put on our website just had the, the mention of Paul. I did not see if they did. Because some come just do seven or eight guys on a first team, seven or eight guys on a second team. No, they did five, and then five. they did six because there was a tie on the okay, second team. Okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, I don't think he's one of the five best players in the league. I, I don't mean that in, no. in, to be a, an ass, but I, I don't honestly, I don't think he's one of the best five players in the league. No, I don't even think he'd be in consideration. And to be honest with you, I don't know that Xavier has an all-conference player on this team, period. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know if they I, get someone. Yeah, legit question yeah yeah now i i do think and i I don't think this is a slight in any way because no one would have him on a preseason team but i do think maybe even more so than paul scruggs what we're hearing about zach Fremantle this offseason it wouldn't surprise me if he was xavier's best chance of having an all-conference player yeah and and, but but yeah in in these preseason things though he doesn't have enough pedigree yeah yeah and cachet to to make that selection yeah right totally agree by by the way by the way before we move on is georgetown really that bad Yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, finally, DePaul is back. They're not picked to be last <laughs> in the conference. <laughs> I, I mean, when I when I saw that release yesterday, and I combined that one in, in the and, and I do want to touch one more thing here on Xavier before we move on to UC. Um, I, I had to do a double take and thought, not only was Georgetown voted last, Rick, but uh, you know there was eleven teams, eleven coaches that voted. Right? They literally got a last place vote from all but like one or two coaches. That, that's almost unanimous that they were in last place. The roster is a total disaster, and it really is just one of those, how could you possibly be in this situation if you're Georgetown moment? Right. I mean, it's, it makes it's no Pat sense. Ewing. I mean, yeah. I, I guess at Georgetown. That, at Georgetown, right. <laughs> I mean, that's insane to me. Um, uh, well, the other thing I want to touch on is the, the Big East did release the, the conference December schedule. Xavier's got five games. And I'm going to ask you how important those five games are. And you kind of mentioned the, that sometimes the separator is a road win or two. They open at Providence on December 12th and home for Seton Hall at DePaul, Marquette at home and at Creighton. I think we can certainly agree out of all those games, the at Creighton one is is most most assuredly a, a, a loss. You would hope you take the two home games and then you've got two two road games that you should at least compete and maybe win. And you steal one of those and get through that portion three and two with, with one of those two losses being what you would consider one anyway at Creighton. That'd be a nice way to start, right? Yeah. I think that'd be uh, almost an ideal scenario for this team. And I, I've, I've been trying to warn people or at least tell them to be cautious because this team has seven new players and they're going to be relying on a lot of them. You know, I mean, yeah, they have a couple guys coming back and and yes, I think Zach Fremantle and Kiki Tandy are going to take a major step forward, but there's a lot to figure out here in some ways, you know, aside from Paul Scruggs, this is kind of the rebuild, the, the new regime taking hold here. I think there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. So they'll have some non-conference games to figure it out, but not a whole lot. So it's going to, it's going to start off pretty fast and furious. It wouldn't surprise me if they, they got off to a slow start in Big East play. All right, Skinny. Cincinnati was picked to finish fourth in the American Athletic Conference with Keith Williams earning first team all-conference honors and big man Chris Vogt being named second team all-conference. We'll start with the Bearcats being picked fourth in the American 
Did you see that as the coaches getting it right? Or do you think that's a little bit of a slight to the Bearcats? I think that's about right. Kind of like Xavier. I could probably flip flop them with SMU. If I was doing the voting, I think it's pretty clear that Houston and Memphis on paper are the top two teams in the conference. And that's the way that the voting came down. Houston got nine first place votes. Memphis got the other two first place votes. And there's kind of a clear line there. And then SMU and UC, the voting kind of went the same way. They they're pretty lumped close together. So yeah, I, I say, yeah, the coaches got that right. And, and if you consider one, one spot below what I might have voted a, a slight, then okay, so be it. But yeah, I, I think that's about right. I think UC is clearly better than the rest of the group, the USFs, the Tulsas. Um, and then you get to Wichita, which is going to be a flaming train wreck on down. The rest of the league, I don't think is very good. So yeah, I, I'm going I'm to say they got it right. Maybe missed it by a spot. Yeah, it sounds like you're of the opinion, which I agree with. There's kind of uh, at least three tiers that matter and then maybe the bottom of the conference, but you've got Houston, Memphis kind of in their own tier, SMU and Cincinnati in their own tier, and then the USF, Tulsa, Wichita State, mm, probably just those three really in their uh, own tier. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Wichita State's going to be awful just because of all the transfers that, that left, the Greg Marshall nonsense that's going on. I, I just think they're going to be a disaster. Right. I just I just usually assume they're going to be better than like, UCF yeah, East fair. Carolina Tulane, but maybe, well, that's, maybe that's, that's a unfair. safe that's a safe assumption probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, what about the all the all conference teams? You got Keith Williams on the first team, Chris Foote on the second team. You think that's about right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Keith Williams from a points perspective, people can probably look and go, well, you, you know, he needs to be more of a scorer, but that just was not his role. Um, I don't know if that's who he is, but he's just a stat stuffer and, and being the stat stuffer um, and, and being what's going to be a key part of this team. I, I think he probably is one of the five best players in the league. And Chris vote uh, again, just from a returning perspective, I don't know if he's a, he's one of the top 10 in the league, but I think he's close enough that, that listen, he got voted actually pretty high um, in the voting. So I think they got both of those, right. I, I, I think Keith Williams is a first team all league player. I think if he takes that scoring average from, what, 12 and a half last year and gets it to what probably should be the 15 point range. Um, and he's probably going to average again, the five rebounds, a couple of assists, a block, a steal. I mean, he's just a stat stuffer. Um, and he does it without, without, you know, doing it in a stat stuffing way for lack of a better term. Um, so yeah, I think he's one of the five best players in the league coming back. I do. It's crazy to think about what he was two or three years ago at NKU. Yes. You know, to, to think that he'd be oh, you're talking, you're talking about Chris vote. Yeah. Yeah. To, to think that he would be an all conference selection in, you know, and the Americans certainly is in the horizon. I'm not sure I would have thought he was an all conference selection. Exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. It's not like the American is some crazy uh, talented conference in terms of the individual talents. But like you said, I would have never thought he would be an all conference player at NKU um, until later that sophomore year when you were starting to see him flourish a little bit in a backup role behind Drew McDonald. But what he's done and what that staff has been able to do with him over the last, I guess, four years now, really, really impressive. So, all right. What do you think? What do you think of Keith Williams? Oh yeah. I mean, I, th I think that was pretty much a no brainer. Yeah. I, it just, just if nothing else, he has the pedigree with what he's already done in the conference. He's, He's been a big time player for a few years now. So no surprise there that that he's a first teamer. And I think he'll live up to that. I, I'm high on Keith Williams. I thought thought he was really good last year and probably didn't get enough credit for it at times because they were the conversation was so focused on getting Jaron going and all that. Uh, but I think he'll have a big senior year. 
All right, let's move on to our betting segment where last week I finally got back above 500 for the first time in, gosh, seems like since the beginning of the season, I think. Uh, I was 6-5-1. and one. We had a push on the Bengals game on the, the line there. We, we had it at three. I think it moved to three and a half by the time Sunday came around for most betters, but we got it at three. Skinny, you were five, six, and one, so I beat you by a game there. That moves us to uh, 32, 41, and three for me and 36, 35, and three for you, so you are now just a game over 500 and uh, showing a profit tre- margin. Yeah, tre- treading water, man, oh man, okay. Yeah, so here we go. Thursday night, Football, 8.20 p.m. We got Falcons at the Panthers. The Panthers are a two-point favorite, and the total is 51 in that game. Man, why do I feel like this is the sucker line of the week? I mean, I I think Carolina, when it plays its game, is pretty good. The The game that disappoints me still is the the, the last one they played before they took the bye, which was the, the Bears game. They were a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home and lost outright, and that would have put them at four and three and kind of feeling good about themselves. Um yeah, I, I I have to take Carolina. I mean, well, how can you trust Atlanta? And how can you trust it with such a small line? They'll figure out a way to screw something up. I, I'll take Carolina. I'll take them fairly sizable. Um, yeah, I guess sizable is not the key. I'll, I'll go Carolina 31-24. So Panthers in the over for me. I don't disagree with, with what you said, but I just think the Panthers are weirdly inconsistent this year. Yes, they are. The, so are the Falcons. They, the Falcons suck. The Falcons straight up suck. They're not even inconsistent. Yeah. They're just not okay, good. All right. Okay. The Panthers are weirdly inconsistent. And for that reason, I'm just fading them here. I, I they're, they're weird to me. I'm going Falcons to win this game outright. Falcons 31, Panthers 27. So that's Falcons and the over. Yeah, and that like really said, has no logic behind it other no. than I just hate the Panthers right now. No, and in, in, in theory, I, I almost want to continue. Like I said, the line feels like it's such a sucker line that you're stupid to bet it. No, I agree. Two. I would not touch this game in real life. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of with you on that. But um, uh, sometimes, sometimes the line just speaks volumes to you, right, of – well, that looks too easy. And that's why it looks too easy is they want you to think it looks too easy. Exactly. So we'll move to college now. Saturday at noon, we've got Memphis at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a seven-point favorite, and the total is 55 in the hook. Uh, that, that UC defense, we, we thought they could get enough stops against SMU. It proved to be the elite unit that we really think they, they are. Um, and, and I don't think that stops even against a good Memphis offense. Um there is a potential for a little bit of a letdown here because still you went on the road, got a big win. I know you know, you can talk about all you want about, you know, the, we're not going to let that happen. It just does. It's human nature, but that defense is still so good that it's going to get more than enough stops. Um, I still think UC's passing game has to get something going. Um, they didn't do a whole lot. Didn't need to do a whole lot in that SMU game. Des did a lot with his feet. And it's funny we had Chad Brendel, our friend from BearcatJournal.com, on. And I think the three of us talked about, you know, they need to use Des a little more in the running game and maybe they'd let him left him bottled up the first few because they didn't need to do it. I do think that dimension now on film showing that he can do it again is going to probably help the offense because defenses have to really prepare for that now. So I think the offense will evolve. I'll, I'll go UC. I think there is a letdown here a bit, but I still think UC comfortable. I'll go Bearcats 27-17. So UC covers and it stays under the total by a lot. So Chad, give credit to Chad because he was right about Des. We talked about the fact that he needs to be more of a playmaker and that he's just not going to be a great college 
quarterback in terms of a drop back passer, but he can be a winner and a playmaker. And that's exactly what he was uh, last week for the Bearcats and they needed it. I think what you're going to see is it's going to open up some of those intermediate throwing lanes for him a little bit because I do, I do are going to have to spy him and, yes, and stay a yes. little closer and worry about what he's doing with his legs now and some of those RPOs. So I do think that's going to help him in the passing game. And in terms of this game, I don't see it being a letdown because of what happened last year. This is kind of that team that UC wants to get back at. I think the Bearcats are going to come out ready, but I do think Memphis will give them a good game. I'm going to go UC 35, Memphis 24. So the Bearcats get it done, cover, and hit the over. You're going with the over. Okay. Yeah. So that moves us to Saturday at noon. We've got Georgia at Kentucky. The Wildcats are 15-point underdogs in this one. The total is 42 in the hook. Yeah, it opened at 13, I think, and and I think I would have probably – taken george at the 13 but the two the that extra point over the two touchdowns and still that kentucky defense while the offense was just horrific against missouri this defense still has, has played extraordinary football for the most part this year other than one half against old miss and old miss's offense they're terrible but their but their offense is good um and so I, i'm going to chalk that night up to old miss's offense so I, I think kentucky's defense has them hang around uh not good enough to beat georgia by any stretch of the imagination and georgia's defense is, is pretty good i'll go georgia kind of in a slugfest uh I'll go Bulldogs 20, Wildcats 13. So for me, Kentucky covers and it stays under, but Georgia gets the outright victory. I am going to go much different from that. I think it's a higher scoring game, and I think Georgia rolls UK in this one. Uh, I, I, I think this Kentucky team is bad. The, the defense is good, but aside from that, like that Missouri performance was really uninspiring. It, it was. And I think, I think that was, and I mentioned it last week, I was afraid of the letdown. And I think the, the, they went to Tennessee. There was a complete unemotional performance in Missouri. I think you'll see at least an inspired performance. And I think an inspired Kentucky is good enough to hang around with just about any team in the conference. I really believe that. I think this is a good football team that's underperformed for the most part. Man, I just don't know if their offense can move the ball enough. I think the defense is fine. Uh, defense is really good, but uh, they'll give up points just because of the offense's inability to move the chains. I'm going to go Georgia 35, Kentucky 14. So that's Georgia and the over. All right, and that takes us to Saturday night at 7.30, final college game on our slate. Ohio State heads to Penn State after a tough loss for Penn State in overtime Ooh. to Indiana last week. Just a tre- tremendous college football game. But Ohio State is a 12-point favorite in this one. The total is 63 and a half. The one thing I, I, I think that I think it goes way over that 63 and a half. Um, I think Penn State's really good offensively. They obviously don't play defense. I honestly didn't think Ohio State's defense was all that great in the Nebraska game, to be honest with you. The offense, though, is just lights out. It's just got so many, so many weapons. And Justin Fields was so extraordinarily sharp uh, throwing the football. Um, I, I think this is a kind of a shootouty game. Um, I'm gonna go Ohio State. 45 Penn state 38. So Penn state gets the cover. Ohio state gets the outright win and it soars over the 63 and a half. So I think Ohio state will cover this number, but I will say, you know, last year I got on that whole kick of I'm betting OSU to cover no matter what the number is. I do not feel as confident about doing something like that this year because of the defense. Last year, you had two NFL defensive backs with right. Chase Young getting to the quarterback in less than three seconds on every that, second. That, that makes a difference. That makes it really hard to do anything. It also makes it really hard for backdoor covers and things like that because even the guys that were backing those studs up were pretty darn good. It's the, like the type of guys that are starting now, you know? So, um, 
but this year's defense isn't that way. And they are going to be susceptible to backdoor covers and things of that nature. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. But in this case, I think they get it done. OSU 42, Penn State 28. So they cover the 12 and that will be uh, over. Yeah, I think I think I think yeah, the over I think the overs a play here, and that's a I hate playing overs when they're in the sixties. It's just because all it takes is that little lull of you know two punts each way at some point to to knock it down. I just I just don't see their defense stopping the other. I just don't. I'm with you on that one. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. Should be a fun football game to watch. All right, Sunday at 1 p.m., moving to the NFL, we've got Tennessee in Cincinnati. The Bengals are a five and a half point underdog in this one. The total is 53 and a half. Are you surprised the line is that low? I feel like it would be bigger than that. I, I don't because I think the Bengals win this game outright. Um, Holy Tennessee, cow. Dude, Tennessee, don't let the record fool you. Uh, uh, their first three wins this year, and I'm going to call it up because I, I, I it, it actually made me take pause for a minute. Their first three wins this year were by two points over Denver, three points over Jacksonville, and one point over the Vikings. What do the Broncos, Jaguars, and Vikings all have in common? They all they suck. And they barely won those games. They won those games by a combined six points. One of their other wins came in overtime over the Houston Texans. What are the Houston Texans? Awful. They do have a quality win over Buffalo on a game where Buffalo just played like ass. And I'm going to chalk that up to mostly Buffalo playing poorly. Last week at home, the Titans were plus three in turnover margin against the Steelers and still lost that game. I, and, and I know you're going to go, well, they, they made it close 20. And they did. They had a, actually a chance to force the overtime, but you shouldn't lose home games where you're plus three in turnover margin. I just don't, I think this Titans team is a good team. I think Mike Vrabel's got the most out of this team for the last two years, but I just don't think it's a good team. And I think the Bengals, I think, you know, maybe kind of clearing the air with the Carlos Dunlap stuff gets a few things right. I think the offense is really starting to play well. I'm going to go to the Bengals not only to cover. I'm going to go with the outright victory. Bengals 27, Titans 24. Um, so it barely, barely stays under the total, but the Bengals get the outright victory. I disagree with you on this. Um, but again, I have missed every Bengals game so far this year. So it's uh, probably not wise advice to listen to what I'm about to say here. However, I think... The Titans, while they have not been impressive, to your point, they are exactly what the Bengals aren't, which is a tough physical football team in the trenches. They will win the battle at the line of scrimmage, in which that's the type of battle the Bengals do not want. And so I don't see a way the Bengals can win this game or even cover that spread. Although I do think the Bengals will put up some points and it'll be a decent game. I just think the Titans uh, cover 35 28. So that's Titans and the over. Okay. Sunday night, 820. We've got Cowboys playing the Eagles. The Eagles are eight point favorites. The total 43. What do you got? Um, I think the Cowboys have quit. I, I think you saw that. Certainly in seems that way. Um, you know, the, the, they're playing Fred off the street at quarterback. Um, I don't think Philly's all that good either, but I, I do think they've been the most consistent of these inconsistent teams in this division. I'll be honest with you. If you, if you gave me money right now to go, to go bet on a team to win this division, you know who I'd bet my money on the giants. Nope. Washington. <laughs> the only, the only team I wasn't going to say. Yeah, no, I mean, Washington at least plays defense. Their defense is consistently pretty good. And if Josh Allen or whatever his name is, Jake Allen or Fred Allen, or whatever the Allen that's quarterbacking there is, there's so many Allens. It's Kyle Allen, I guess Kyle Allen. If he just stays away from turnovers. 
I think they win the games they need to win, and that that might be enough. But uh, it's a chance for Philly to take a big leg up. They'd go back to back wins over conference opponent or division opponents rather uh, after the win over over the Giants last Thursday night. Cowboys are just reeling. That defense stinks. Uh, I'll go Eagles thirty to thirteen. Uh, I can't. I don't want to put on the top. I'll go Eagles thirty to fourteen. So the Eagles and it barely goes over the total. The Cowboys suck. They are a disaster, and I think they may have quit. But at the same time, they. They got to win another game at some point, right? And the Eagles aren't any good. I, I'm on the old, I'm on the uh, Danucci train. Old man Danucci's boy at quarterback, third yep. stringer, taking over for afternoon Andy. It's just a Andy disaster. Get done. I, I think Danucci is going to get it done. I'm going Cowboys 27, Eagles 24. Cowboys get the outright win, and it goes over. You are, you, I, I don't say this often, Rick, because it's just a matter of opinion. You are a fool. I guess you don't have the faith in Danucci. I got no faith in. You must have not known his pops, dude. That team has that that team has quit. They've quit. Well, Ben DiNucci is going to revive them, dude. Ben DiNucci couldn't revive Madeira. (laughs) Shout out to Madeira. Shout out to Madeira. Monday night, eight twenty. Buccaneers playing the Giants, ten and a half point favorites, and the total is forty six. Giants are bad, man. They're really bad. And the 10 and a half really gives me pause because it feels like a back to recover coming here. Um, I, I think the Buccaneers win by as much as they need to win by. But this, I don't know why this has the feeling of Buccaneers 30 to 13, giving up a late Giants TD for the backdoor cover. So that's the way I'm going to play it. I'm going to go Buccaneers 30, Giants 20. So the hook comes into play. Uh, Giants get the cover and it goes over the total of 46. I do think, I do think it goes over that 46 total. I think that's a, that's a gift. Interesting. I was right under the total, so you made me feel really bad about that just now. I had it at 45. I was going to say Bucks 28, Giants 17. The 10.5, definitely a backdoor cover type line, but it also feels a little bit like a sucker line where they just want you to bet the Giants here, knowing yeah, the Buccaneers are going to win by two touchdowns. Yeah, no, you're right. They're begging you to bet the Giants. There's no question about it. But, you know, there's there's times, too, where there's – I call it the Tom Brady betting factor where there's some people that just blindly bet on Tom Brady no matter the number. Oh, and, and we've hit that they, point this season, no doubt. Yeah, people no are doubt. all in on the Brady train again. Right, and so. and so that's why it feels like it's almost like, okay, go ahead. We, we can't make this line high enough for you. Go ahead and bet Tom Brady. I think this line probably should be eight and a half or nine. The ten and a half to me, like I said, it's just it feels like the backdoor cover where if you have the bucks and you feel like all game your team is dominating, you're sweating that backdoor cover late. I just feel it. I feel it coming. All right. Now it is time. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We got to do our bets, which I forgot to pick. All right. You give yours. All right. I'm going to do a three team money line NFL parlay this week. All right. On the money line. I'm taking the Bengals on the money line. I'm taking the Detroit Lions, which is an underdog at home against the Colts on the money line. And I'm taking Denver at home, a three-point dog to the Chargers on the money line. So a three-team money line parlay, that's going to get you a little bit back. It's going to get you a little more value than the normal six to one. That's probably going to get you somewhere in the 15 to 18 to one variety, maybe more than that even. I, I really didn't do the math on it, but I got three, three home underdogs that I'm going to take on a money line parlay. All right. I like it. I've got a college football play again for you. And uh, the, f- the first game I'm going to throw in there is the Ohio State game as a teaser. This is going to be a three-team teaser. Ohio State, you take it from 12 down to six. Love them by a touchdown against Penn State. Feel really good about that. I would also give you, to go with it, the Cincinnati game. You take it from seven down to one. Feel good about the Bearcats basically winning outright in that situation. 
And then the final game is just a team that you should be fading every single week. Add Iowa State over Kansas here uh, to that slip. You're going to take Iowa State from 28 down to 22. So not a great number, but uh, again, anytime you can bet against Kansas this year, you should probably be doing it, especially boy, if they, 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 they are bad. Oh boy, they're bad. They're awful. They're awful. Uh, for some reason, I did not bet them last week, and I had already told myself I was going to fade them all year. I uh, didn't bet them last week, and of course, they got beat by 150. So yeah, they're 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 yeah, they played rival Kansas State, and it was I think it was 38-7 at the half, something like that. it was it was it was way too many to not enough. Yes, it was. So there you go. There are our picks from off the board, and uh, hopefully we'll do better. But again, you should probably just fade me, and you'll uh, make a lot of money. So <laughs> let's get on to our favorite segment of the podcast, hashtag AskSkinnyAnything, where you ask Richard Skinner your questions. We'll start with some sports-related ones. First, is anyone else disgruntled on the Bengals? Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's probably say. I think Geno Atkins is disgruntled, and I, and I think that – He's just way more quiet in, in general than Carlos Dunlap. I think he's the one. I mean, to me, Rick, and I wrote about this on Tuesday in my three Tuesday takeaways. One was they need to suspend Carlos Dunlap and or trade him, and, and that came to fruition. The other is this, this Geno Atkins situation of, of lack of snaps is curious to me. Um, came off the injury, played 19 snaps his first in each of his first two games, and you would think if he's, if he's getting better from that injury, he'd get more snaps, right? Instead, he gets 12 in the last game. And, and while I don't go by the gospel of Adam Jones, Adam Jones took to Instagram last night um, in a profane-laced tirade at the Bengals coaching staff, questioning the usage of Geno Atkins, of why put him on the nose, why not be, you know, he's, he's right. He's arguably one of the best three-technique defensive tackles that's ever played the game, and the Bengals are playing him on the nose. And my guess is that probably led to some disgruntlement for Geno Atkins. And I, I've, I've made this point in the podcast. I think he begged out of the first four games with a phantom shoulder injury. Was it hurting? Maybe. Um, was it hurt enough to to – to put him on IR, obviously not because they they just made him inactive. And so it felt like he just kind of crawled through those first four and got away with it. And then when he came back, it was almost like the coaching staff did what they did to Carlos Dunlap. If you don't want to play our way, we'll just play you as a, as a specialty guy. And I think Gino's the kind that he doesn't care. He just cares about getting a check. Um, I think it's a shame because I, I think he was borderline a Hall of Famer at one point in his career. And I think that the way this is trending, that it's unfortunately not going to lend itself to Gino being a hall of famer. Um, but he's just more quiet about it. I don't even want to say it's more professional and maybe it is more professional. There's um, nothing about Gino Atkins that is professional. Um, as a player, I think there is, um, I disagree, but, but yeah, I think to answer the guy's question, I, I think Gino Atkins is extraordinarily disgruntled. He's just way more quiet about it. I'll be honest. I, I, I have very little respect for Geno Atkins. He is cu- the, the very little time I spend. And, and again, it's, it is a small sample size. I'll admit I didn't spend a lot of time in the Bengals locker room, but the very little time I did, I, I thought to be quite honest, he seemed like a baby, just a total baby uh, that if he, he, everything has to be his way. And if it's not, then he kind of just curls up. So uh, I mean, do you, do you with me, is it not weird what's going on with the snap counts? No, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. I think they feel like they're not getting a great effort from him, and they're probably right about that. And I think he feels like he's not being used in the right way, so he's not giving them a great effort. And uh, it's similar to the Carlos Dunlap situation, so they're going to play him less. And uh, I mean, dude, my, my, Mike Daniels came off IR. Came off IR and played 28 snaps. Come right. on. Yeah, I don't think it's about the injury. I think that's very clear. I think it's 100% an effort or productivity issue. So Yeah. 
Skinny, does a win against the Titans and Steelers have the same effect on the fans that the 03 Chiefs win had? Does do they have the potential to be regime defining wins? Love you. Uh, they do. I like, I like <laughs> love, love you. Th- thank you. Um, that's very sweet. I feel better now. Uh, yes, I think they do because then there's a four game stretch of winnable games right after that where they play, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but in that four game stretch, it's Washington, the Giants, Miami, and Dallas. So, yeah, if you win those two games to get to three, five, and one with those four on the horizon, then the answer is yes. Uh, and while I've picked them to beat Tennessee, I could also certainly see them losing to Tennessee, and they ain't beating Pittsburgh. I don't, they ain't, no. They, but, yes, to answer your question, they would be, I, I think, to your point, kind of like that that year under Marvin where they, they beat the Chiefs and and somehow uh, grinded their way to an 8-8 eight eight finish and then went 8-8 eight eight the next year in Carson's first year as a starter and then the playoffs. Um, it kind of has that feel if that were to take place. I just don't see that taking place. I'm going to be honest. If they reel off like four or five wins here all of a sudden, I'm going to be pretty pissed off because they will have absolutely wasted the first half of the season no doubt. with all these yeah. close, close no losses. Doubt. I mean, at this point, I'm happy with the close losses because it's like, Hey, the offense is showing improvement. Joe Burrow looks great. And we're still going to get a top five pick. But if they all of a sudden screw up the top five pick thing, and it turns out they could have been a contender this year. Hey, yeah, I'm going to be real pissed about the way the first half of the season was handled. So, yeah, but, but, but at some point though, and I think that's been their mantra, right? Of we're close, we're close. You break through with the two wins and then have a good stretch in that four, then then I, I get your point, but I think it also shows that, all right, they, they were that close and now they have broken through and boy, what a future we've got. But I can also certainly see one seven and one come out of Pittsburgh and then that four game stretch, you better damn well go two and two or three and one, or then we're talking about a coaching change. Yeah. If not build the Zach Taylor statue immediately. <laughs> all right. Uh, if you were the guy who thought he won $1 million on daily fantasy sports and then found out it was only 3000 how would you react? A uh, little backstory here. Uh, yeah, it's a great backstory. It's, it's, tell, tell the story. It is so sad. I, I, I read it yesterday, and I, I almost cried for the guy. Yeah, a man thought he had won almost a million dollars in a daily fantasy contest Monday night, but his money was called back due to a stat correction. Rob Hunt's 41-year-old insurance agent from St. Louis filled out a number of lineups in a DraftKings showdown contest for the game between the Bears and the Rams. One of his lineups featured the Bears' defense, which was one of the top-scoring players for the night. At the end of the game, Hunt's checked DraftKings to find that his lineup had scored 92.79 points, which was the highest score of the night, making him the recipient of the $1 million prize, or so he thought. He went out to take his dog for a walk, which... That, that's the part to me that was just... That it made me... Bad. I'm, that made me so sad that, that he's thinking, I'm just going to clear my head. And, and you're taking that dog for a walk. Thinking, and he's spending the money in his mind. What? Like, I'm going to pay off yes. this debt. Yes. And we're going to get yes. a fence in the backyard that we've been yes. waiting for. Maybe I'll get a new car finally. Right. And when he returned, he had fallen down to sixth place due to the stat correction. The Bears defense was originally credited with a sack on Jared Goff in the fourth quarter as Akeem Nix caught up with him in the backfield and tackled him for a three-yard loss. But on review, it was determined that the play was a designed quarterback run, meaning it wasn't a sack which took away the fantasy points for hunts. He lost a point and ended up taking home $3,078.94 instead of the million he thought he had won. Skinny, how do you react? I just, I, I think I'd have to sit there just agape. I'm not sure I could sleep for a week after that. I mean, a million bucks is life-changing money, man. Three oh. grand is is a drop in the bucket that he's going to reinvest and probably now become so addicted to that stuff. Chasing the, the thing that I fear is the guy chases the million dollars with, with even more and more entries and goes even more broke. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it didn't sound like, uh, you know, I mean, he's an in, he insurance sounded- agent. He's 41. I think he's got life pretty much figured out. He's doing this for fun. He said he had he had had another one where he had won $5,000 yes. and then had a stat correction that took that away. Um, said that wasn't nearly as heartbreaking as the million, of course. No, I mean, he, honestly, in reading the piece, um, he sounded very pragmatic about the loss, um, almost resigned to some degree in, in, a, in a weird way. Um, so I, that gave me a little hope for this dude. Uh, what didn't give me hope is that he filled out four, what, 43 winning lineups or something like that that got him the three grand. It was like, dude, what are you doing? But anyway, um, ah, man, my reaction, I, I, I know a computer would have bought, bit the dust. I think the computer that I would have looked at would have, would have bit the dust at that point. Um, furniture might have gone out the window. I, I, I wouldn't have ended it. I just would have. Here's I, the I thing. I think I, I, it's incredible to think that. And by the way, he still the one thing that, that he talked about is he still thought it should have been recorded as a sack. I will say this and, and the stack crew at Bengals games, especially this year with the with the press box um, being more quiet because there's fewer people in it. Um, the sack crew is literally right behind me and, and they talk amongst themselves as the game is going on um, to credit tackles, to credit sacks. And sometimes a play will literally there's somebody in New York that will flag a play and, you know, say, hey, you guys should have probably awarded an assist here. Go back and look or that was a scramble. Um, and, or, or a designed run and not a scramble and take the sack away. So that's happened before. And on this play, I, I'm guessing somebody in New York saw wide receivers blocking downfield from the get-go and determined that, that golf wasn't, wasn't running to pass. He was running to run and hence the design run. That's why it went from a sack, which would have given him that million dollars to a tackle for loss on a running play, which took that away. So that's just, man, that's a bad beat. Horrible beat. I think Rob Hunts, this guy who lost, might be similar to me. You said he sounded resigned to the fact. I think that's more how I'd be. I think what would happen is I'd go, there's no way this is real. Like, my life isn't this lucky. Let's wait for the other shoe to drop. And then when I came back from walking the dog, found out that I actually hadn't won the million, I'd be like, yep, candid camera. That's exactly how my life goes. I should have just known that. So, dude. Dude, there, there's a there's a contest. There's a horse racing website I go to, twinspires.com, and they have a bunch of free contests. Um, they have one every day, but then they have one called the weekend leaderboard where you have to they give you three races on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to pick. And it's just you pick one horse a race. Um, there's no money involved, it's a free thing, and 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 um, there's a thousand dollar prize pool. If you're the lone person at the top, kind of like him, lone person at the top wins the grand, and, and if you know multiple people tie, you split the thousand dollars. So I go into to two Sundays ago down to literally the last race. I'm tied for first. And of course, my horse gets beat by a nose. And so somebody else won that race. I think two other people. So they split the grand. And there I am. If I'd have won that race, I'd have had the grand of myself. And I'm kind of resigned to the fact that that's just the way life goes for me. Yeah. 1,000, just not quite the same effect. As no, 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 no. I, I'm not okay with the that. Same effect, yeah. and, and especially because I didn't have to invest anything in this. He's actually investing some money. I mean, he got the three grand back, but he had to invest something in those multiple entries too. I mean, I don't know. His profit might've only been a few hundred dollars. Yeah, this guy's from St. Louis. So Midwest, similar climate to us right now. So I'm just picturing that Sunday night or one Monday night game. Yeah. Monday night game, Monday night game. Yeah. Monday night game, Monday night, you take the dog out for a walk with the leaves falling. You got the colors going. It's dark, dark out. You're like, you're all happy with yourself. Yeah. The, it's just like, what, what a walk, a nice brisk air out there. And you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. Maybe I'll quit my job. And then you come back all of it for not just brutal, brutal. brutal. Yes. All right. 
do you have access to any of the two angry guys shows? Any favorite show from then? Would love to hear the Dan O'Brien thank you show and your call in from the bowl game when you were overserved. Yeah, I do not have access to those. I, I maybe can ask somebody at iHeart. I'm going to guess those probably got wiped off the face of the earth, unfortunately. But those are those are two of my favorites for sure. Do you um, have it? Are, so those are the two favorites that you would name? Y- yeah, I, I, you know, I, I am embarrassed by that call from New Orleans, but it still is a classic. People still remember it to this day. So I, I'm okay to laugh at myself. Now, I, I've got explain, I've got no problem with that. Explain the Dan O'Brien one a little bit for me because I. I don't even remember. I listened to the show when I was younger, but I don't remember that. So, bit. so and I, this gets brought up to me literally once a month. So, so Dan O'Brien, when he got hired at his introductory press conference, literally reeled off a thank you to at least 50 or 60 different people. I mean, I want to thank da 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 and da 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 and da 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 Martha Campbell. Um, there was, there was just a couple of names on there. And so occasionally during the show, I don't know why our producer would just drop in Martha Campbell. And, and, and every time you just have to laugh at it. Um, there was just uh, Rick Romano. There was a, there was just a bunch of different names he rattled off. And so every once in a while, our producer was very clever. I, I mean, and this is not to take anything away from, from the stooge report, which I still find extraordinarily funny where they do drop-ins. Those drop-ins actually started with our producer at the time, Paul Mason, who ended up going to produce the show for for uh, for Bill Cunningham, and I think that's where he kind of took those little drop-ins that he would use for us, um, and and started using them for Willie, and 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 I I laugh at those to this day um, because some of those are just so funny, they're just so so off the off the wall. I mean, he would drop in for us the the great Pete Pete Rose line of seats are for asses. I mean, he, he was always good at those little drop-in stuff. And, uh, and so the Dan O'Brien thank you list is still a classic to this day. That's gotta be on YouTube somewhere. I may have to dig it up on YouTube just to, just the thank you list. And, and if it is, I may play it. Uh, I may put the microphone up to, to the, to the thing next week during the podcast. Yeah. My guy, Dan, that I do my Xavier podcast with brought this up to me a couple months ago. And he was saying there was like a, a promo where Macho Man Randy Savage would be like going Macho Man, and then someone would say Corey Dillon, and then Dan O'Brien would be saying Rick Aponte. Was Rick Aponte? Rick Aponte, guys. Yes, yes. Rick Aponte. Uh, so Dan says an easy laugh in his group of friends is to just deadpan Rick Aponte. Oh yes, there's no question. That that and Mirtha Campbell were my two favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, we got to, someone's got to have that audio somewhere. We yeah. got to find this because yeah, we do. honest to God, skinny, like I'll be out in public and someone say, Hey, you know what you need to bring up to skinny is the Dan O'Brien call. Uh, it's still the best. Yeah. It's still, it's still the best. All right. Uh, I think that brings us to our final question. Yeah. This is our last one. It comes from our buddy Mo Agger, who is just uh Really a great friend of the show with these questions, helping us out all the time. I don't um, even want to know where this is going to go. Do I want to know where this is going to go? Yeah, it's pretty good. With Halloween's evolution to a more adult-themed holiday than it was when I was a kid, I am interested in your rankings of the following job-related sexy costumes. Are you ready for this list of I, I, occupations? Yes. yes. We have 10 of them. Nurse. Overrated. Police officer. Mm. Basketball ref. I like that one. Construction worker. Nope. Teacher. Yeah. Flight attendant. Oh, yeah. Sailor. Firefighter. Mm. Mm-mm. Judge. Maid. There's that crazy kinky judge in Northern Kentucky. She got in some trouble. So I guess she's got a rank in there. What was, I'm sorry. What was the last one? I cut you off with that. What was the last maid. one? Maid. Maid. Your traditional maid outfit. Yeah. That's like the classic yeah. Halloween outfit. That's up there. So, so let's go down the list. I'm just going to tell you whether I go thumbs up or thumbs down. So Start I, the think, top I think there are three tiers here to, to them. Personally. Okay. I think the first tier is 
And maybe only two if you're if you're really high on basketball ref. That's one I was feeling. I'm I'm pretty high on that one, dude. Okay, that, well then it, maybe we only have two tiers then. Tier one for me would be teacher, nurse, flight nur- attendant. See, nur- nurses, nurses too. You know, I guess, I guess for me, nurse is overrated because it, it's just it's played out. It's too stereotypical. Yeah, it's it is, but it's still like in terms of these costumes, what you're going to get out of it at a party is going to be better yeah, but, than but, most of the other ones yeah that, that's true but 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 most nurses are wearing hospital scrubs they're not wearing what you want them to wear in your, uh, in your nurse fantasy right well this is adult themed holiday parties I, with I, sexy I costumes i know and that. trust me i've <laughs> seen the sexy nurse costumes and yep, they, get, I, I, I they know. get fairly sexy they do they're, they're, they're that's that's yeah flight attendant for me man that's 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 always been right up there i see that's i i think if you come in in the flight attendant the sexy flight attendant outfit that's like you're a little uh off the beaten path you're not the the cliche nurse or maid but yes. nurse and maid outfits are both in there because maid, maid for sure is in there maid yeah, yeah maid just because they have the good there. outfit like there's yeah. so many good outfits out there for sexy nurse and maid costumes that they're a tier one category i'm big on the teacher the sexy yeah, teacher I am, I, I am too I'm with you. I, if I, I, look, teachers should not be raping kids. They should not be sexting them. That is a bad thing. But I will say, if the DM thing was going on back when I was in school, it could have been problematic for me. Listen, if dude, teachers were sliding in my DMs. There were like a handful that I would have been all about. And I would ask this on both sides of the aisle, male and female. What what kid didn't have a crush at some point on a teacher, male or female? Right? Oh yeah, I know. There, there, I think. Um, that happens both across both aisles. I remember yes, girls I, yes. all the time talking about our male teachers. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I, I that's, that's definitively one for me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going, uh, that I'm, is, I'm, and then basketball ref is interesting. Let's talk about this. Cause I think this is the one where you get like the kind of sporty chick. That's probably right up my alley. That's good. You know, going to be my type. And, uh, you know, you can, you can make the ref uniform fairly cute, I guess. No, no a question. Shirt on it. You don't even need to put the skirt on. Just get a big, long referee shirt that goes just below the area that would be uh, illicit. I think you've done quite the job there. Yeah, or or even just a good pair of yoga pants sometimes. Okay, yeah, done. I'll give you that. If you want to yeah, do that a, and just do a full-blown... Uh, I'm good with that. The conservative if, sexy costume, if you will. I'm fine yes, with that. Yes, agreed. Yeah, the construction worker, nah, firefighter, so, Well, nah, yeah, tier police two officer, is police officer, nah. construction worker, sailor, firefighter, and yeah, the, judge yeah, like the sailor, the sailor when that, that might even rank last. I don't know, man. Judge the Ruth Bader Ginsburg costume isn't getting me horned up. I'm just saying. No, I, I'm kind of with you. But then you always wonder if, if especially if it's a fairly attractive judge. What's under that robe, man? Come on now. <laughs> oh, oh, you do the streaker judge costume. That's not bad. There like, you go. Like the trench coat. You just got nothing under it. So you pull into the party and well, flip it and, open. And, and plus, it, it always feels like it's the, the, the most buttoned up human being on the planet. Right. And I know some judges who are far from it. Um, yeah. Not the uh, one in Northern Kentucky that was. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That crazy. That, and banging it, her way to, to the top. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think for me, the three at the bottom tier would be construction worker, sailor, firefighter, the four actually, and police officer. I think the other six, you can make it work. Here's the thing. Uh, there's nothing really sexy about like manual labor, at least not from a male perspective. Like I'm yeah. not, if I see the construction worker costume, I'm just like, well, one, you probably don't even like me. And uh, 
two, I mean, you probably got a bad back. Like, I mean, that, that does not seem sexy. Yeah. Sailor costume. I just don't see, I'm sure they've got something that doesn't even look like a sailor costume and it just has a hat with a, an anchor on it. But so, so, so here's my question. So, so here's what I, here's what I wonder for Mo. I wonder, is he trying to help us pick out an outfit for his wife for a Halloween party? Is that what he's trying to do? Hey, Oh, I, uh, I don't know, but I, I'm going to say pick from tier one, Mel. I think yeah. the teacher outfit is a good one. I think it is too. Teacher flight attendant. Flight attendant. Those are my, those are my top two as well. I'm We're on the same okay. page with this one. Okay. All good, man. I like it. I like yeah. it. Thanks Mo. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for the questions as well. Keep them coming. We usually do the top five questions of the week. We try to bank some of them. So if your question doesn't get asked, Rick will usually bank it. And then on a week where maybe things are slow, we'll pull one out, but we do always appreciate the, the questions. Rick, thanks very much. We'll be back next week. Good luck with your, uh, with our gambling picks for the weekend. Um, again, you can certainly do the Costanza and go the opposite way of, of us. And probably if you do that, you'll probably be a, a richer person because of it. Uh, for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Popery edition.